Hi, everybody. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 2 of Spill the OT Podcast. And I hope that you're all having a great week. And I'm actually recording a couple episodes back-to-back, so I don't have a ton to say during this intro, except thanks for listening. And today we are talking to a speech-language pathologist who works in telehealth. And telehealth is something near and dear to my heart because I want to get into it. I have been saying that for a while though, and I haven't made any moves to actually do so, but it's definitely on my radar. I really am excited about telehealth, and I think that it's something I can see myself doing in the near future. So without further ado, let's get our guest Marissa Rochelo on. And Marissa is a licensed SLP and the owner of Lingual Abilities, a private company focusing on quality telepractice. In the past year, they have expanded to over five states, including SLP, psychology, and school counseling services. When not providing business coaching, growing her business, or waxing poetic about telepractice, she loves spending time with her husband, Gabriel, and two whippets, Petrie and Bunsen. So welcome, Marissa. So I went and did a bachelor's degree, and you have to get that in speech pathology, and then I did a master's degree also in speech pathology, so that was like six and a half years And then you have the clinical fellowship year, which is supposed to be an additional nine months. Mine was a bit longer because I was working part-time. So those are the the degrees that I have. Okay, awesome. And what settings did you work in before you started doing work from home? I did mostly schools. I also ended up starting my own company in 2014 when I was in Chicago. And so I've had an iteration of that since. So that ends up being kind of an umbrella header for me to do lots of different things. If I end up doing course writing, taking my own contracts, if I write my own contracts. Um, And so I also have private practice. So I've done mostly schools and private practice. Okay. So you've kind of had an alternative career. Can you share how you got started doing telehealth? I actually started the business because I was doing telepractice. A lot of the companies will tell you it's smart to have an LLC header. And so I picked it up kind of on a lark. I was looking for more part-time work and I found a company, a small company that was looking for people and got started part-time. And then after I came back from the Virgin Islands in 2017, we were going down there to live and then Hurricane Irma happened. So that didn't work out, but we came back and I needed more work. So I said to the company, can I work full time? And it's been full time since then. So for the past two years, it's been full time telepractice with like, you know, iterations of courses and things like that. Can you share how many states you work in? Six. I'm licensed in six, soon to be seven. It depends on the year, which state I'm in. I usually have two or three states that I'm working in. I live in Florida. And so last year, I'm always going to work in California. There's always a California need. Then there might be another state like Oklahoma or Indiana that needs to pick me up. But uh, yeah, you have to be licensed in in a number if you want to get a full caseload usually. What does your schedule look like? Um, last year was really busy. It was back to back and I was taking on as many hours as I could to get some more money. It doesn't have to be that way though. It's a pretty flexible schedule that you can make for yourself because you're usually working directly with families who are doing like a virtual school online or you're working directly with a school for a caseload of maybe 20 kids that are in a brick and mortar and they're just in a rural area. So there's more flexibility that you can say, okay, I want to work between 12 and 2 on this day. I want to work at only 1 o'clock on this day. And you can really make it work for you. I ended up having back-to-back from, I mean, it was like a 15-hour day some days. 
Um, but it does not have to be that bad. You can take on as, as little or as much as you want. How much prep time goes involved in your typical session? I find less than in person because I know the websites that I want to go use. I have a big bookmark list and also in my head, I keep a lot of them. I usually will take maybe five, 10 minutes at the beginning of the day to sit down and write down all the kids that I'm going to see and a goal that I want to work on with whatever activity. I'll remember like, okay, I want to do synonyms today. I'm going to pull that up on my computer so it's ready to go. So really five, 10 minutes for maybe 10 kids which is, I think, pretty good. I know that my prep before when I was like doing groups in schools, that would take me hours and I was always making materials. So I don't do nearly as much of that as I used to. Yeah, definitely. I meant to ask you, how many companies are you working for right now? Right now, just one. Um, it, it, well, two, if you include my company as like the overarching because I still do private practice. Um, but for schools, like taking a contract, just one. I'm working with Eluma, and they're a smaller company that's based out of uh, Utah, but they're growing to take more and more contracts on the East Coast and in the Midwest and things like that. There's a lot more tele that you find on the West Coast, like California and New Mexico, because that's where the need is. So how does this compare to seeing your clients in person? Do you like it better? Do you like it worse? It totally works for me uh, because I like to work from home. So I like the flexibility of being able to log in and I'm ready to see a client right then without having to drive anywhere, make sure that I've got like my perfect binder of things and all my activities ready to like flip out at them. It's easier for me to just pull it up on a computer and then like there's no cleanup afterwards. Just close the tabs and you're done. That's me personally. I know some people have had issues with it where they feel like there's a disconnect between talking to the person face to face and actually talking to them through Zoom like this. So it, it can be a personal preference, but I really like it. Actually, what platform do you guys use most often? Do you use Zoom or other? Yeah, a lot of people will use Zoom. That's probably my favorite that's not specifically for speech, like as a video conferencing platform. We've also used GoToMeeting. I don't like that one so much. It's a little more glitchy for families to get logged into and takes more tech support. There's also ones that are specifically designed for SLPs like Blink Session or TheraPlatform where they're trying to incorporate a whole billing, scheduling, video conferencing all in one. And you're going to have a lot more features like whiteboard and annotation because you want to have this interactive piece. So that's one thing that I didn't like about GoToMeeting. It just wasn't robust as like having a whiteboard feature because we do a lot of things shared together on the screen. It's not just always talking. Are all of your sessions one-on-one? -on -one? Mostly. I've had a couple group sessions, but it just usually works out that way. The way the caseload comes in, a lot of kids will have the option of either but they don't fit the schedule that I have in the existing caseload, so they just end up getting their own session. Um, or because it's families here and there piecemeal, it may not be appropriate to bring them together like you would if it was a single school. So there's some drawbacks to that where you may not get as much interaction with other kids. So are all of your students being seen because of their IEP, or are you doing outpatient as well? Oh, I am doing outpatient as well for my own business. All the kids through the school contracts will be IEP, um, but I have a couple right now that I'm doing for private practice that, um, I mean, they, they would qualify anyway in the schools, but they just wanted to go through outpatient and get a little bit more support. 
So uh, I have a kid in Texas. I have a kid who actually lives in the same city as me, but we see each other online. Yeah, I've had people pretty much in every state that I'm licensed in. There's, there's a reason I picked up the license. Are you developing the IEP yourself, and are you meeting with the teachers and the parents? Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, it's not perhaps as hands-on as it might be in an actual school. We definitely do have meetings, IEP meetings. We're working with the teachers to draft goals and things like that. It's just not that you might have an official meeting face-to-face -face through Zoom to say like, hey, teacher, I'm writing these goals. I'm putting them in a thing as a recommendation, blah, blah, blah. You just put them in the IEP more and then talk about them at the meeting. Um, so there seems to be a little less follow-up throughout until you get to the meeting. And then we'll have a meeting like through Zoom like this so everybody can see each other or at least hear each other. And uh, we'll actually pull up the IEP on a screen share so that you can see each thing that we're going through. Now, sometimes the parent will log in through a phone call and they don't get to see it, but they have the choice that they can log in through the computer. Okay. So all of your sessions are direct. Do you also do consultation with teachers? Yep. We do consult. We do um, evaluations. We do just kind of check-ins to see, like, do we want to even think about it? Kind of like an RTI thing. Just kind of meet with me and do a little check-in, even if you don't have officially consult yet. Um, of course, I don't usually bill for that. So um, it depends if you are being billed only for direct time or if you get to bill for non-direct time, like documentation or any of those check-ins. Uh, so the consultations are much more fluid, it feels like. You, you know, might send an email to the teachers and the parents and everything and never hear back. And that's pretty much all you can do. Um, I mean, you can try and follow up with phone calls, but often they go unanswered. So there is a lot more collaboration that you need to be aware of for Tella to make sure that people are following through on their end or that you get some information. Um, but it's not always feasible. I mean, sometimes I've had kids that I've never gotten a phone call back, and yet they've been on my caseload the entire year. I don't quite understand that, but that's not my decision to make when the school says keep seeing them. Okay. So when you make your schedule, do you make it like every day, or do you make it at the beginning of the week and then just send out the times for the students to log in? Yeah, it's set mostly for the week so that we have a regular thing each week. You know, I'm going to see you Monday and Wednesdays at nine. We try and do that. It may not be as perfect as that. We may have to do a different time on the second day, but I try and make it consistent throughout the month that we have this set schedule. It just seems to work better for families remembering. It works better for me because then I don't have to rearrange everything. Um, consult maybe like once a month. I'll make a time that I just sit down and do emails or like try and touch base with the family. Even if they uh, don't pick up, I leave a message. Um, and then documentation just kind of fits in whenever you can. If somebody doesn't show up, other people may have a better system of like actually blocking a documentation time. I found that doesn't work so well for me because that's a spot I could be seeing a kid. Um, but this year I'm definitely scheduling a lunch for myself because I didn't have that last year. So I think you have to decide like how flexible am I going to be with my schedule, but also what do I need to make sure that I'm sane to build that in for myself? Cause you have the flexibility to do it. You can build yourself a lunch break or a little break to go, you know, outside for a walk. How are you getting reimbursed? Are you only being reimbursed for billable hours or are you being reimbursed for your documentation as well? 
usually just billable hours. Um, now, 90% of the contracts you're going to get for the schools with these agencies will be 1099. So you'll be an independent contractor. You'll get paid a little bit more per hour, not enough, but you'll get paid a little bit more uh, knowing that you're going to take about 30% out for taxes yourself. They're not paying any taxes, any benefits, anything like that. So that's something to consider with these telejobs is that benefits aren't great. Like I said, you'll get paid a little bit more per hour. I would argue that it's not enough to make up for the difference um, unless you're doing what I did last year where it was taking on as many kids as possible and working like crazy. Some people make it work because their spouse has benefits. They want to work part time because their kids are at home. You know, that works. There are a few companies that will do a W-2 if you uh, really need. Now, you probably won't get benefits, but you'll get the taxes taken care of. So there's a big shift right now, I think, in speech in general, but definitely until that everything's going 1099, even though they still have a lot of control over you. Um, so some of them will let you bill for indirect time, even if you're a 1099 contractor. You'll get paid probably a little bit less per hour, but you'll get to bill for documentation. And sometimes you get a per diem where you just have a set school, and regardless of how many kids there are, you get to bill for 30 hours for the week. And then it falls how it falls. Usually that's in your favor because you're not always going to get a full caseload. Okay. That's very helpful. Mm -hmm. Now, a part of this podcast is I do talk about the financial piece. Mm -hmm. Do you feel comfortable giving like an approximate range of? Oh, yeah. Okay. No, I would much rather talk about it and get it out there because I feel if we don't have the information, we can't negotiate appropriately. Exactly. And no one talks about it. And then it's like, well, what do I ask for a dollar more exactly no we we need to talk about it we need to be more open and share with each other it's not a competition we're helping each other boost up to get better rates and be better reimbursed because we are the lowest reimbursed of all the rehab fields when you look at what we're getting for ot pt slp for these telejobs we're always the third always it's really sad to me because we have the same sort of experience and education are. yeah yeah for real so I've seen, uh, for what people are getting paid, the therapist, I've seen anywhere from below $40 an hour to above 50. So there is quite a range. Typically, you're probably going to be at the $40 an hour, 40 to 45 is the typical one. There are a couple companies that, you know, say, ooh, we're the, the cheapest one that you can get because they're marketing that to schools in that way. Like, look how much money you can save they're gonna cut you down bottom dollar. I mean, I've seen people get less than 30, which I think is insane um, for the amount of education that we have. So right now, for example, I am at 50. Uh, that's not the highest I've been, but that's the most consistently high I've gotten as a base rate. For example, last year, I worked with a company that did a uh, percentage type of thing. So this was global teletherapy. And they don't want to reimburse you 100% for no-shows. Now, depending on your caseload, that could be significant. Last year, I had a 30% attendance rate. So, you know, 70% of the time, I was getting 90% of my pay rate. They wanted to do 80. I negotiated to 90. 
Hey everybody, I am so genuinely excited to tell you about MedBridge. So MedBridge is a continuing ed site and they have tons of continuing ed courses all available online. You can stream them at your own pace. They also have home exercise plans, which are incredible. You can literally build your own plan with pictures that can perfectly suit whatever client you're working for. It's honestly so awesome. And you get unlimited CEUs. And these CEU courses are just really intriguing and exciting. Like it's, I've done continuing ed online in the past and these ones that they select are just very much in line with what I find interesting. And I feel like you might find them interesting as well. So are you struggling with finding the resources for your time for CEUs? With almost 2,000 accredited evidence-based streaming courses, live CEU webinars, MedBridge is your all-in-one solution. And actually, if you use my code, it's spill the OT, capital S, capital T, capital OT. So spill the OT, one word, capital S, capital T, capital OT. You can get $175 off of your year-long subscription, which is awesome. I mean, that's like significant amount of money off. So if you are interested, please go check it out. Again, use the code spill the OT, capital S, capital T, capital OT, all one word. All right. I really hope that you go check it out. Enjoy. So my base rate, uh, I think was 48, but 90% of the time I wasn't getting that. 30% of the time I would get a 25% bonus on top of 48, so I was actually making like 52 something, but that wasn't consistent, you know? So by the time you, you do the math, you really have to do the math to figure out, is this going to be beneficial for me? So that 45 to, 40 to 50, 40 to 45 range is probably pretty typical for Tela. Uh, that's with the 1099 contracts. You can take about 30% off if you wanna do a W-2. As for what the schools are charging, or what the schools are paying to the companies can also vary significantly. I've seen anywhere from $68 an hour to $150 an hour that the companies are charging the schools for our services. So if they're going as low as 68, it's going to be harder, of course, for them to give you anything reasonable. That's a really low rate to charge a school. Um, 150, like what they're doing more for mental health, gives them a lot more wiggle room. But then I ask myself, if they're charging 150 and I'm getting 40, is that a really fair representation of who's doing the, the majority of the work? I get they have overhead. I get that they have to buy the Zoom. They have to sign a BAA, which is $200 for the platform. You know, they have their own HR people and everything. But if I'm not even getting like half, that worries me. So that's another big shift that I'm seeing in tele, especially with speech that um, it's not always consistent with what you would expect for reimbursement. So I just want to go back for a second. Mm -hmm. You're saying that 70% of the time the sessions get canceled? It did last year for me with that school. Oh, it doesn't necessarily okay. always. I've had better years before. Like um, if you end up getting a brick and mortar, I found that typically is a little more consistent um, because the kids are coming to school regularly like they would anyway you just happen to be on a computer screen in a room how do you know when you're getting blown off oh they just won't answer the phone okay uh, you call when it's time you know you you set a time 
And a lot of companies now have built-in reminders through their own system or through uh, Google. They'll do a little text, like through Google Voice. And so you're reminding the families the best that you can to say, we have this session every single week. It's not a surprise. Please come. And then five minutes in, if they don't show up, I give them a reminder call or a text, whatever seems to work better for them. And sometimes they just don't respond. Now, sometimes I get a frantic text that says, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry, I forgot, can we log in? And it's 20 minutes into a 30-minute session. I'm probably not going to do that one because it, by the time we get settled, it's not going to help the kid. Um, and honestly, the way it's financially laid out, it's not in my interest to do that session. If I'm only going to be working for 10 minutes, I might as well count it as a no-show. I'm going to get paid the same, right? Um, so it, it depends on the school. There's some schools virtually that are, are great and they really work with their parents and say, you need to show up for therapy. And if you don't, we're going to kick you off the caseload. We're going to put you on like manifestation where we have a big meeting about your attendance. Other ones just let kids do whatever the entire year. So it depends on the school you decide to. What does your office setup look like? Oh, I wish I was in it so I could show you. Um, I'll send you a link to a video so you, that I made that you can see my office. I have a whole bedroom in my house that is mine um, and the door is closed when I'm working. My husband knows not to come in. That doesn't mean that he doesn't. But he, he knows that I'm working when the door is closed. And so when you walk in, my desk is right here and it's actually facing the door so that no one can see anything behind me. If someone were to walk in, they can't see my client or anything up on the screen. Um, I have also like a little return just so I have a little bit more access to things that I might need. And um, then I have like bookshelves over here. So if I angle it a certain way, you have like a little something to look at. Otherwise it's a curtain like this. You wanna make sure that your backdrop is like what you have, like it's really, just something plain to look at. Or if you do have like a bookshelf that it's not too distracting of like, oh my gosh, look at all those toys. Like I just have little decorative things on there. So that's what my office looks like. Have you ever tried traveling during the time mm -hmm. that you're supposed to be working? Oh yeah, yeah. I've had to go to different cities or I've been dog sitting like this. This is something I do on the side and I end up being somewhere like this. You know, I try and make it as professional as I can so that I don't have dogs running around in the background behind me or if I'm in a hotel I put myself in the corner um, it's not that bad to do it I just need to make sure that I have good internet um, and usually it's fine usually the places that I've been for staying over at somebody's for dogs they have fine internet and the hotels are fine so it's not too bad oh, okay because that's one of the things that draws me to it is I just want the flexibility to be able to yeah travel if we need to or just not be yeah. tied to the job that I'm at right now. Absolutely. There is one thing to consider though with travel that Asha will not give us a straight answer on is that if you travel out of state or if your student travels out of state, how do you manage that with your licensure? Because as it stands right now, I live in Florida, I have to be licensed in Florida and then whatever state my client is in. If they end up traveling and they're suddenly in Tennessee where I'm not licensed, no one can really give us a straight answer on whether we actually need to be licensed in Tennessee. It seems to differ between each state, but you don't always know. Your, your client's like, by the way, I'm in Tennessee this morning. Go, oh, okay. So I don't know the answer to that one. Or if you travel, I've heard that it's, it's on the more strict and conservative side that you would need the license, but that's not the same. You should go and get 50 licenses because they're expensive. That is so interesting that I didn't even think of that. 
Mm-hmm. Well, this was awesome. Is there yeah, but- anything else about telehealth that you think people might be interested to know? Yeah, um, you get to meet a lot of people that you might not, which I think is pretty cool. And it is going to be growing. So for example, you can work internationally if you wanted to work with people in a different country. Um, For speech, I mean, like UK and Australia are big ones. You can get around the time zone fine. Um, It just comes down to licensure. Some countries don't even have licenses, so it depends on each one. You can also get to meet some pretty cool people in the United States because it's in a lot of rural areas. Um, and there's like a, depending on the, the state, there's a big Native American community that are doing these virtual schools. So I would never have met those kids because I'm not living out in the West near a reservation, but through this, I get to meet them, which is really cool. I think also it's in people's best interest to start learning about this, training themselves up, either if it's through the company that is training, And shameless plug, I do trainings as well. Like I'm actually launching a big course series this Monday to help people in like your situation who want to learn more about tele and that transition. Cause it's a, it's difficult to say, oh, oh, I'm a great clinician in person. How do I translate that to online? It can be a little difficult. So I encourage people to research more about it and do training because it's definitely going to be increasing. I mean, I've seen People say even by like 2024, it's going to outpace in person. So it's, it's something that's coming and we need to be ready for. Um, so the courses are, there's 12 of them and they're outlined to go from beginning. I don't know anything about telepractice all the way to, I want to start my own business in telepractice. Um, so we start with like telepractice 101. How do we do evaluations? How do we do therapy? Then we move into, okay, you've got a good base and you're a little more intermediate advanced. So we go through things like, how do we work with adults versus children? How do we work with um, collaboration strategies? Like I mentioned, if people aren't picking up the phone, Um, how do we do more severe and moderate caseloads, which are increasing? Usually you get min-mod caseloads, but now we're starting to see more kids with AAC, which is a specific course we have in there too. And then the business courses we get into, oh, and dysphagia as well. You can do dysphagia. Then the business courses are about starting your own business and practice. How do you land those clients and contracts? How do you be ethical and uh, take HIPAA into consideration online? So uh, I'll send you the link for it. There's a a little page that people can read more about it. But um, yeah, I'm excited for it. We're starting it on Monday the 12th at 1 p.m. Eastern. We'll do that every Monday and Friday for six weeks to go through the courses. And then we'll just start again with whoever's interested. Awesome. And I'll put that in the show notes of this episode. Awesome. I appreciate it. Thanks. Sure. All right. Well, thank you so, so much for coming on here. Yeah, it was a, it was a blast. Thanks for having me. Okay. So that sums up the interview with Marissa and she just has so much information about telehealth. And if you want to learn more, she is offering these really great courses and she's about to start a new one. And all of the information is going to be in the show notes. Well, I guess the description. I'm still not even sure what the show notes are. I hear everybody say on their podcast, so I pretend that I have them. But it'll be down in the description. I'll also have a YouTube link to her office. And it just seems that her courses are really thorough and thoughtful. And it might be something that you're interested in. Anyways, thanks for tuning in. And if you like this podcast, please rate and review it. If you would like to be on the show, please email me at spilltheot at gmail.com and we can set up an interview. I'm also taking voice notes. So call me at 401 
203-3072. And this is just a Google Voice number, so it's going to link you to a voicemail. I'm not going to answer the phone. It'll bring you to voicemail, and then you can leave a memo, and I will include it on the show. And I hope that you guys have a great week. Please follow me on Instagram at spill underscore the underscore OT. And I'll see you guys soon. Bye.